Okay, we are finishing, close to finishing the Ten Commandments. We have um, one more week after this week. And then on March 13th, I think we're going to have a special speaker. It's uh, Shepherd's Conference, and Dan Dumas is going to be here and speak. And some of you have heard him before. He'll speak in Sunday school. I think we have somebody speaking in church. Um, and then after that, I'd like to switch gears. Um, the second half of Exodus, I don't know if I'm quite ready to do that. So if you have suggestions, what you want to do, I usually go back to the New Testament. Um, let's see, we have two right here. That's what happens if you come late. But come on in. Oh, they don't want to go there. All right. Anyways, uh, Adrian suggested Revelation because he's worked really hard this year doing Revelation. He wants somebody else to work really hard um, <laughs> teaching, but I don't know about Revelation. I have to think about that. Um, well, so, that see, he's going to put in his plug for it. Is, is really interesting. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's the reason. It's not. It's not to make me work harder. Okay. Um, anyways, if you have other suggestions, thoughts, things that you want, um, I do tend to work through books rather than other type of material. Uh, so, all right, let's, let's jump back into the Ten Commandments. We're in Exodus 20, and we have been going through the commandments, and what we've been trying to do, rather than just say, here is what it tells me what to do or not to do, is to, to pull out a deeper principle from it. What is the main point? The main point of the Ten Commandments um, ultimately is for us to be like Jesus. Jesus is the one who fills, lives out the Ten Commandments perfectly. Jesus is the one who loves his neighbor as himself, so much so that he dies for his neighbor and lives perfect life for his neighbor. Jesus is the one who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, which no one else has ever done. Uh, praise the Lord that we have his righteousness because we would not be able to keep those commandments. But still, our goal is not to draw the minimum line, but to ask what is the full extent of this command. And so, <coughs> excuse me, especially as we get into the last ones, but even at the beginning, um, let's just run through the Ten Commandments quickly. Some of you haven't been with us for the whole time. First one is, no other gods before me. Um, and that means not, uh, no other God. Nothing in your life is more important than God. What's the second command? No idols, no graven images. But if we limit that to just something we carve with our hands or set up in worship, we're going to miss the point because the point is much bigger than that. The point is, is that um, any image, anything that we conceive of that diminishes God in any way, that takes away from who he is, or twists what he is, violates that. So we have to be very careful. Our thinking has to be in line with what the scripture says about God. As soon as we start saying, I just like to think of God as, and attack on what's next, what you're doing is you're, you're creating a God in your own image, in a sense. Third one is, do not use the name of the Lord in vain. This is more than just not saying some bad words. It means that we don't take an appropriate God for our own purposes. 
Um, and then remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's an interesting one. That's the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, the principle is widened or, or expanded. Uh, what we need is a Sabbath rest from our labor of trying to earn our salvation. We rest in the fact that Christ has completed the work. And then we go to honor your father and your mother. That command covers all the rest of the commands. It's foundational. Um, it's one which affects the entire nation when you have um, children that are not honoring your parents. And then you shall not murder. Um, yes, don't kill, but don't hate, don't insult, don't look at people as being less than you. And then like we've done all the way along, we draw this kind of a spear point which is pointing toward love your neighbor. And all of those other things, killing, hating, insulting, is over here, but so is apathy. So is not even caring about your neighbor. And on the other side is when you actually work to bring or give life to your, to your neighbor. And the picture of Jesus dying for us is the example of actually doing something um, more than just not doing this, but, but actually bringing life to the people around us, to living our lives so that we are life-giving people. Um, treating your neighbor is more important than yourself. Uh, thinking of your neighbor, helping your neighbor, all of that ends up on this side. The same thing with, with um, adultery, we should be building up marriage with stealing, the interesting verse on stealing is where Paul says, don't steal any longer, but work with your hands. Why? So that you have something to give. So we see on the opposite side of stealing, generosity, and, and, and that's what God has done for us. So this week, we get to, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, verse 16. All right. Um, which we would typically say means don't lie. Um, it actually is a little more specific than that in the command, but we're gonna broaden it out because that's the intent of it. Um, now, like I said at the beginning, as you go further down here, everybody commits more of, of the, you're more likely to have lied than to have stolen. You're more likely to have stolen than to have committed adultery. You're more likely to have committed adultery than to kill, um, although I think most of us have not honored our parents at one point or another somewhere along the way. Um, so last week I said, if anybody st has stolen, raise your hand. If I ask now, I've been in right lessons before. If you have never lied, if, if, you have, if you've ever lied, raise your hand. And then the pastor says, what? Look around the room, the people who aren't, don't have their hands up are lying right now, right? I mean, everybody has lied. Um, so this is a command that affects us. And the temptation to lie and to bear false witness is greater for us because it pops up every day. It's an act of, of oftentimes just cowardice. We don't want to admit to something or we don't want to take the consequences of something, but we lie. Um, the actual verse itself, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, probably refers specifically to perjury because 
the idea is that there's some sort of legal action taking place here, which if that's what we limit it to, we may as well just go home because very few of us end up, I mean, I've only been in court a couple of times, uh, mostly for jury trial, a couple of times when we adopted, you just, it's just not a part of my life to be under oath and witnessing. But in that culture, it's hard for us to imagine there were no police, there were no courts, there were no judges, there, were no, there was no legal system. So what did you do when you had a problem with your neighbor? You brought it before the elders. Every city had a group of elders, leaders that sat in the gate. You would bring it to them. They would, you would ask questions. You would say, my neighbor did this, and they would call the neighbor in. Then they would bring witnesses in. And I think it was probably a much more common thing to be called upon to uh, speak about something that was taking place. And the idea here is that we don't ever use false words to harm our neighbor. Um, and the extension actually goes the other way. You don't say false things to benefit your neighbor because by doing that, you would be hurting somebody else. Yeah, there's, there's no neutrality there when you start to lie. So that flattering words are considered just as bad as slanderous words, where you're saying things that aren't true to, build, to um, butter somebody up. Um, let's look at a couple of applications out of the Old Testament. Then I want you to be thinking, because we've done this now enough. Um, where does it affect us personally? And what would be the opposite side of it? What goes on this side over here? Okay, so we're going to list a number of things that are over here. What things as Christians should we be doing? Okay, if we're going to apply the command, we don't want to just not, we just don't want to tell the truth. We want to use our words or what we say in a positive way. So I want you to be thinking about that. Um, go over to uh, Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 16. I just want to show you a couple of examples of where this is applied in the Old Testament. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 16. Um, actually, start at verse 15. You shall do no injustice in court. This one's interesting. You shall not be partial to the poor or, or defer to the great. Um, a lot of times you say, well, you know, we ought to be partial toward the poor, not in court. What are you supposed to be in court? Honest. You're supposed to tell what happened. Um, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So slander, being partial, um, is wrong. Slander is wrong. Somebody have a good definition of slander? Okay, uh, that's very generous. Yes, telling the truth with the intent to hurt. Um, I think you could have a much more nefarious way of doing that. It's actually telling something that is untrue with the intent to hurt, to misrepresent somebody with the intent to hurt them. Yeah, if you, especially if you're spreading that around, um, if you're talking to, because you're impugning their reputation. Slander is when you tear somebody down and, and the, the 
uh, you, oftentimes it's done either by telling a partial truth about the person, not telling the whole truth. Watch political campaigns, right? I'm just being honest. They slander each other constantly by telling, well, he voted for this, but there was a reason he voted for it, but you don't get the reasons, so there's a slander involved in there. Um, I go over to Exodus 23, or back to Exodus 23, verse 1. says, uh, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. You shall not bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. You shall not be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So once again, the circumstances don't matter. We're to speak truthfully, but the interesting one there at the beginning to me is you shall not spread a false report. What would we call that? Gossip. Gossip, which is mentioned much more frequently in the New Testament. Gossip is a way of bearing false witness against your neighbor. Um, oftentimes we justify gossip on the basis of the fact that there's truth to it, but if the intent is to tear down somebody, to, um, to if, if, if you're not giving them a chance to answer to the gossip, which you're not, then that would be violating this command of bearing false witness against your neighbor. I think also in, in, in noting that it's not just, oh, well, there's truth to it. I think sometimes people justify, well, I need to know how to pray for this person. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, most of us know ourselves well enough. It's enjoyable to hear gossip. There's that old horrible statement by, I think it was Lady Acton or somebody who said, no, Lady, I forget what her name was. She was some rich and powerful woman. She said, if you can't say something nice about somebody, come sit next to me. Right? She wants to hear the dirt. She wants to hear the gossip. And um, that, is, that is part of bearing false witness, is gossip. Go over one last one, Leviticus 5, uh, verse 1. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify... And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Silence can be false witness. If I can speak and shed truth on the matter, and I refuse to, I have just borne false witness. Because I am harming somebody. Um, by the way, I'm just going to make a, usually don't do this, but to the young people in here, there is a young person's rule that you never speak up at school. Somebody's in trouble, you just keep silent. Sorry, you're bearing false witness. If you know what's happened and you refuse to speak, you're bearing false witness. The peer pressure may be enormous, but it's bearing false witness. I think of the scene in Les Miserables where... Um, 
Jean Valjean, some of you know this, he, he's wanted for a crime, he's on the run in a sense, and they catch, a but he's made a, a life for himself and they catch a false, another person and they blame him for the crime. And, and Jean Valjean's been leading this exemplary life for like 20 years and he goes to court and he hears the man being, uh, um, being um, accused. The man's insane, has no life. It'd be real easy to let it go by, but what does Jean Valjean do? He stands up and he says, I am the man, that is not the man. That's this right here. You cannot be quiet when you know what, um, when you know that something has happened and to not speak up is going to then cause somebody harm. Um, not even then to not speak up when you're called on to testify. Well, yeah. Well, here it's a public adjuration to testify. So you've been asked to bring witness and you refuse to bring witness. Yeah. Um, where your witness would make a difference between justice being done and justice not being done. And tattletale normally is just to get the other person in trouble, right? Yeah. I am so glad I am past that phase. I'm just, that's just like the most wonderful thing in the world. Yeah, grandkids will be able to do whatever they want. Uh, parents can say, we did enough parenting early on. Go ahead. I think when I to these commandments, this is the first one, though, that mentions the word so, uh, and it's not like the person who lives next to you. And it's a little different from what you're saying in that I am wanting to vindicate myself. I wanted to get uh, uh, myself okay. I want you to be punished for what you did to me. This is now considering others. Yeah. So it makes <clears throat> a huge difference. Yeah. Um, now, let me just mention a couple of things because we're going to run out of time here. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, you don't need to turn there. Verses 16 through 20 says that if you bring false witness against your neighbor um, and they discover it, you bear the penalty that would have been meted out to him if your witness had held. So if you bear a, a witness against somebody with murder and they find out that you're lying, you're put to death. If that, you know, you're supposed to pay back these many oxen, you pay back the oxen. That's how seriously God sees this. Um, when you get to the, New, the Old Testament further on, lying is going to be mentioned many, many times, especially through the prophets. But I do want to just look at a couple verses on lying when we get to uh, in the Psalms and Proverbs. So very quickly, go to Psalm chapter 5, verse 6. And I have just taken a sample. There are hundreds of these. Now, I, maybe not hundreds, but dozens would be a better word. Um, Let's start at verse 4, actually. It says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Um, now, we've expanded a little bit from lying to deceit because somebody can use their words and say their words exactly, perfectly, watching their words, but deceiving while they're saying it. Um, I, um, 
went through a lion phase when I was a little boy, um, a bad lion phase where I just started lying about everything that had to do with school, not realizing that when you don't do your work, eventually the report card comes. And then there's a parent-teacher conference and uh, I got in big trouble. Um, but after that, I remember my dad instructing me online and his comment always was, a half-truth is worse than a full lie because a half-truth deceives twice. You say just enough truth to make it plausible, but the whole point of what you're saying is lying. So you're, you're choosing your truth deceitfully even. And so that's a dangerous thing. Oftentimes we think, well, there was enough truth in it. Well, no, it's, it's, it's just as much a lie. And God hates the deceitful person, the person who uses their words for deceit. Proverbs 6, verse 16, very famous passage, talking about what God hates. Many of you could probably quote this or something uh, like it. Um, <clears throat> says, um, and actually, if you go back to verse 12, it says, a worthless person... A wicked man goes about with crooked speech. Crooked speech would be speech that's intended to deceive. So what is a person who uses, uh, speaks lies, has crooked speaks? He is worthless and wicked. And then it says, there are six, verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. I always thought that was interesting. Why not just tell me six or seven? Why say six that he hates, seven is an abomination? Is this just a rhetorical device? Um, I have an answer. It may not be right. And if it isn't, uh, that's fine. You guys have to work that out yourself. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sorts discord among his brother. There's seven things mentioned there, but aren't two of them lies? a lying tongue, and a false witness who breathes out lies. So seven things the Lord hates, but the reason there's six is because one of them's repeated twice. I don't know if that's the right interpretation well, of that. Well, but that's, yeah, there, there are people who sort of discord without telling lies. They just enjoy being bad people, I guess. I don't know. In other um, words, they enjoy the anarchy. Yeah. Anyways, the point is, uh, throughout the Old Testament, the lying is a big deal. By the way, there's an interesting thing here, and that is God sends witnesses to his people, the former prophets, and those witnesses are either false witnesses or they are true witnesses. And uh, the false witnesses, the false prophets are always condemned and the true witnesses are always um, um, elevated. Um, ultimately, we are, well, we'll get to that, we are witnesses and we're called upon to speak the truth and speak for our Lord Jesus Christ being the perfect witness. The true and faithful witness is what Revelation says, right, Adrian? Jesus is the true and faithful witness. All right, um, one last passage. I want you to see this, and then we want to go to the New Testament. Or Psalm 15. Um, Psalm 15. <clears throat> this is a great psalm. My title is, Who Shall Dwell on Your Holy Hill? It's a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? 
who shall dwell on your holy hill? And rhetorically, we should all be answering what? I do. <laughs> I want to dwell on your holy hill. I want to be that person who does that. Uh, David talks a lot about being in the courts of the Lord. Um, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, that God would allow me to dwell in his courts. To be in his presence is what we're talking about here. Well, what do you have to be to, to be in his presence? We have a problem right away. He walk, walks blamelessly and does what is right. Well, that counts me out. Um, fortunately, my presence in my ability to be in God's presence isn't dependent upon my righteousness, right? It's dependent upon <coughs> Christ's righteousness. Christ has walked blamelessly, therefore I have walked blamelessly. Christ does what is right always, therefore, because I am in Christ, I do what is right. This is the importance of understanding our position in Christ. But keep going, because I think these are the things that are like, we want to be like Jesus. So this is describing our Lord, who does not slant, well, no, who, <coughs> excuse me, let's go back to verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. In his inmost being, um, he speaks what is true. He, he um, is a man of integrity or a woman of integrity. He does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest, does not take um, a bribe against the innocent. He, does these, he who does these things shall never be moved. So in part of that being the person that can dwell and stand before God, speak truth in your heart, don't slander your neighbor. And then verse four, he swears to his own hurt and does not change, which means that you have made a promise and the promise becomes costly, and you keep the promise. Let me give an example. I'm just throwing this out. This will be for the young fathers here. You make a promise to your child. I will be at the basketball game. I will be at the baseball game or the soccer game or whatever it is. And then something comes up with business. And you might lose a little bit of money if you don't go and do that. And you say to yourself, there'll be a lot of other basketball games, right? There'll be a lot of other soccer games. But you made a promise. You swore to your son. And a person who swears and does not change, um, or basically doesn't, swears to his own hurt and does not change. It's real easy for us to, to make exceptions even there. Well, I said it, but I didn't know what the, I didn't really know what I was saying. I didn't know what it was going to cost me. Swear, don't, we, we make a promise, we swear an oath, we, we give our word. And so the picture out of this psalm is someone who is a man or a woman of complete integrity. They say something, you trust what they say, you know what they say is going to be right. You don't have to worry that if this person made a promise that he's going to keep that promise. You don't have to worry that what he said isn't going to happen. So this goes all the way to the core. What God wants is people who are people of integrity, are 
we say what we mean, we keep our promises, and we do the things that we have committed to. Tom. The idea of speaking truth in our heart is also not color-coding the things that, that are true. I mean, we might be a parent of a, of a son who is a liar, a thief, or something, and um, I might say, well, that's because or we'll make excuses without speaking truth to ourselves about them. Even ourselves. I was going to say, I, that, that's true. I think more dangerous is to make the same things about us. Well, I'm really a truthful person. I just, in this case, uh, it just, yeah, yeah and, and, and rather than allowing the Spirit to convict us to, to so not. We're not truthful people. We're not truthful people, yeah. Um, all right, now, let's go to the New Testament. And I know we're running out of time here, but Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to summarize this for us excellently, of course, in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. Um, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So it's not exactly from the Ten Commandments, but you shall not swear falsely. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Um, I think this is the extension of what we were just talking about. When you say something, people know that it's true. When you uh, commit to something, people know that you're going to honor that. You don't have to swear to make it true. Um, In fact, doing that kind of leads you to wonder what happens if they don't swear? Which then makes you wonder what happens when you do, because truthfulness goes to the core of who we are. It's not something that you can just tack on. And by swearing an oath, it doesn't necessarily make you any more a man or a woman of integrity. So that's the standard, all right, is absolute truthfulness. How do we go past that? I want to think, because you guys have been in the class now, we've done this a number of times. What should we be doing with our mouth? And if you have a verse that goes with it, that would be great. I want you to think back to the one another's. Those of you who are old timers, we used to have a thing called the one another's. And there's a bunch of things in there that relate to how we speak to each other. So we've got one right here. Okay, uh, do we have a verse for that? <laughs> I left my little note at home that has all the verses on it. But in Hebrews, and I think four or five times in the New Testament, it says, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 25, yeah. I had a little paper and I thought last night I put down some verses and I thought I'm going to forget that. And I did. Um, Hebrews 10.25. In fact, um, go back to verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love 
and good works. And by the way, you're going to do that with your words primarily, although maybe with your actions, but stirring up somebody is to encourage them. But then it goes on, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You want to know what the opposite side of tearing somebody down with your words, which would be gossip and slander and false witness, it's to be encouraging one another. Anybody know some of the other one another's? Ah, oh, very good. Ephesians 4.29. That one I do have written down. You want to quote it for us, Josie? Okay, very good. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So our words are to be used for building people up. We're not to be tearing people down. We're supposed to be giving grace to the people that we're talking to. By the way, that does not mean flattery. That doesn't mean telling them things that aren't true about themselves to make them feel good. Um, If you go back just a couple of verses, verse uh, 25, watch this, because this does the comparison between the two. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And uh, there's another verse that says, speak the truth in love. So we're to have truthful words. There may be something that I need to confront you on, but I need to do it in the, in the attitude or with the idea of building you up and making you better. Proverbs talks about faithful are the wounds of the friend. There's a time where somebody has to come alongside you and say, this is wrong and you need to stop doing that. Or have you thought about this? And it might be that, it might be that. It might not be that you're doing something wrong, but maybe they're watching your path and saying, you may want to consider X, Y, or Z. Uh, anything else that we should do? Yeah, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Yeah. Um, in terms of speaking truth that is hard truth to somebody, Colossians 4, 6 reads, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer Yep. So it's gracious even though it's fruitful. You need to package it. Yeah. Kindly. Yeah, you have to be careful because words hurt. We haven't even dealt with that. You go to James and it talks about the tongue and how your words can are a fire and can set on course the, the somebody's life with the fire of hell. And I'm sure you can all remember back to things that were said to you as children, both positive and negative that affected who you are and who you became. That little statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Probably the most false thing that's ever been said. Uh, It'd be better to be hit with a stone than with some of the things that get said to people because the things that get said stay in there forever. The, The wound heals. Yeah. How do you kind of overcome that? 
because in my heart it's like, I can't stand her, but I've got to love her. You know what? Um, we actually, I know of a situation that's very close to that. Um, I won't go into any details, obviously, but it took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of prayer of, of saying, this is wrong for me to not love this other person. God, give me love for this other person. And it didn't happen immediately, uh, but it, over time it did. There was a transformation that took place. So um, there are things, obviously, all of this comes because of God's grace. Our tongue is dangerous. You say something quickly and you don't take it back. It never comes back and you have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's excellent advice. You act the way that you, you want to be, and that helps that transfer. But I think we need to be relying on God for that. Drina and Ephesians four two with all humility and constant with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay. Yeah. And Lynn, you had one. Okay. Let me let me uh, go ahead, Ron. First John two nine and ten it says, "Whoever says he is light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light." And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Yeah. So abiding in Christ. Yeah. In terms of loving your neighbor. Yeah. Abide in the light and God will bring love. I want to tell you a quick story and then there's one last thing that I, that I want to say. Um, I, one of the most formative things that happened for me when I was in high school, there was a man by the name of Lloyd Peckham. Uh, Lloyd um, is probably the most committed follower of Jesus Christ I've ever known. He's an amazing man. Translated the Bible in, uh, to um, a tribe in Irian Jaya. Um, he and his wife came back. Uh, he just, everything about his life is exemplary. And he was like that in high school. He was a few years older than I was. Um, we were actually on a missions trip of all things. But we were standing in a circle, a bunch of my friends, and we were roasting somebody. It was just some girl and, or guy. I can't even remember the person. But it just went around the circle and everybody had something, you know, cutting to say. So here we are serving the Lord and tearing down this person with our mouth. But it was, you know, it was during the off hours, so it's okay. <laughs> anyway, so we're, we're in this circle. And I don't remember if Lloyd was in the group or whether he joined the group. I kind of think he joined it. And we just kind of kept on going. And all of a sudden, Lloyd, when it got kind of his turn, he said, but you know something about Tom? Tom loves Jesus. And it was like, uh, we all felt like about this tall. <laughs> he didn't rebuke us. He just spoke the truth about this person. And, and immediately we understood how far off we were that we were way over, we were way over on this side, right? And, and Lloyd is way over here. Why? Because his words were healing. His words were building up. Even without that other guy knowing it, we were slandering and he was building up. And it just was, it, it was remarkable. And it, 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 
it comes back to me every time I'm with a group of people when they start talking about somebody else. It's like, no. And so then if you throw that out, but the point is that, that, that there was an example of a person who with his words turned that whole thing around. Can I say one other thing? We've been really focused inward. I understand that the ultimate application of this, I think, is to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that doesn't know it. What does Romans 10 say? How beautiful, How beautiful are, the are the feet of those who bring good news. What did Jesus call us to be? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Go out and tell the good news. Tell other people. So the, Jesus is the true and faithful witness. Jesus is the one who never speaks evil. Uh, by the way, Jesus speaks harsh things, but even the things that he says are in love when he talks to the Pharisees the way he does. But he comes bearing the truth of God, and we've been given that same truth. So if you want to put what, mean, what it means to be on the opposite of, and I haven't written it down, but, but false witness, it's true witness, right? It's actually telling people what is true. And what they really need to hear more than anything else is that there is salvation available in Jesus Christ. So, um, all right, that's, that's it. Unless somebody has something they need to say real quick. Adrian does. Yeah, and um, you go to Jesus, and we see all the false witnesses that rose up against Jesus, um, accusing him. That was one of Satan's tools to to try and defeat Christ. Of course, Satan is the father of father of lies. Yeah. Um, and this might go along with the, the part you discussed about deceit, but speaking the truth completely and then letting someone believe, and you know that they believe, like switch, like you know that what, how they heard your words is not how, it's like misrepresenting. I think, you know, part of it is also having our words be unmistakable and just not hmm. letting anyone think that you mean something else. So, yeah, speak clearly. Yeah. Okay. Anything else before we end? Okay, let's close.